You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim, and this is episode nine, and uh, we're really excited about today's episode. Earlier this week, Matt and I had a chance to sit down with Pastor Kizumbo Kalambula of uh, Tabernacle Community Church here in Grand Rapids, and we just had a really great conversation. Uh, We talked about small church ministry and about being in the community and what it looks like to just listen to the needs of the community. We talked about diversity and race relations and just some really, really great stuff. In fact, it's so great that we don't feel like we can add anything to it. So today's episode is just an interview. It's a little bit longer, uh, but it's all so good, we couldn't cut any of it out. So enjoy episode nine with uh, Pastor Kizumbo. If you're new to the podcast, we especially welcome you. We're glad that you've found us. Uh, Just a little background Matt and I are part of small churches, and our goal with this podcast is just to start a conversation about the necessity and the joys and the struggle of small church ministry. And so we talk about some of the things that we do. We talk about some of our observations. We interview people uh, and get their feedback. And hopefully this is a helpful resource uh, for some of you out there who are like us, who love small church ministry and all of the fun and not-so-fun things that come along with it. So we're glad you're here. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe on SoundCloud or on iTunes. We would love it if you could just take a second and write us a quick review on iTunes. We are now iTunes official. Uh, Our goal, you know, that's a bucket list for us, so your reviews will actually show up, so that would be awesome. We're also on Twitter. Uh, You can follow us at at pastoralcalling, and uh, we'd love to connect with you and interact with you there. But for now, uh, episode nine is so good. Uh, You're going to love it. Uh, We loved it. So enjoy our interview with Pastor Kazumbo Kalambula, and uh, yeah, here he goes. Kizambo, can you talk about just your your experience in ministry? What have you been doing for the last 10, 11 years and types of ministry roles that you've had in your church? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last 14 years, that is at uh, Tabernacle Community Church, it's been a ride. Hmm. It's been fun. Hmm. You know, I hear stories about ministry being just hard, uh, people being difficult, I have to say, I have not experienced that. Hmm. Hmm. It's been fun. We planted the church in 2002. Uh, three of us, that's kind of misnomer when I say three of us because it seems like I'm excluding a whole bunch of other people sure. who are part of the thing right. at the beginning. But your three guys, uh, two friends of mine, uh, Marvin Williams and Adi Lenzi, we kind of came together, met really just by God's providence. Hmm. After I graduated from Grace Bible College, uh, it was really a desert moment for me. And desert moment in a sense, I finished school and the original plan was to go back to the DRC, to the Democratic Republic of Congo. At that point, Zaire, mm-hmm. where I'd come from. But that year when I finished, there was this big genocide that took place in Rwanda, oh, yeah. which affected the region I came from in a huge way. So this is 96? No, 94. 94. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I couldn't go back. Yeah. Um, and somehow God worked all of that out to where I came back to Grace and I did a year, kind of a fifth year. Yeah. Kind of just transition, trying to figure out where to go. And during that time, uh, I began attending New Hope. Missionary Baptist Church mm. in the heart of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and met this guy, Marvin Williams. Mm. And he just embraced me like a brother. Gave me an opportunity to begin to serve uh, in the church as a director of a children's ministry. Uh, we call it Buds, Building Up Disciples. Mm. And that was my role. So I did that and then worked for Meltrar Missions as a discipleship counselor. And during that time, uh, met Artie, and we began dreaming of planting an African-American disciple-making church. Mm. That was the seed at the very beginning. 
African-American disciple-making church. And then things just developed from there. Some other unfortunate circumstances happened. Uh, the senior pastor at New Hope passed away. Uh, and then the church went through a really difficult transition because it was a sudden death. Mm. He just fell ill, and mm. shortly afterward, he passed away. But uh, the idea never died in our conversation mm. with Marvin and I about this disciple-making uh, church uh, idea. So Marvin went to Calvary Church as an associate preaching pastor. Um, I stayed in New Hope. Shortly after that, I began attending Calvary Church, and Adi was at Messiah Missionary Baptist Church. And then we just began to meet and pray. God, what do you want us to do about this idea of planting church? Then two churches came together, Messiah and Calvary, say they want to plant um, a multi-racial, multi-ethnic church. Was this kind of their ideas, or they just kind of came to it, or did they know that you had been talking about this and had been thinking think, about uh, this? I think the late uh, pastor, Ed Dobson, mm, yeah. Ed... Uh, Picked into the hearts of Marvin. Yeah. Because they were preaching together. Okay. And when he sensed that this is what Marvin was talking about, and then Marvin mentioned that he had friends that were talking about this, the whole thing just picked steam from there. Mm. And so we came together, we planted church. Our idea evolved a little bit. Uh, first, it was like African American disciple making church. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it evolved. This conversation here, urban, suburban, coming together, yeah. our, our life stories, okay. my life story in particular, yeah. uh, being coming from Grace, yeah. uh, having met my wife here from a different ethnic group, yeah. uh, Adi having taught and worked at the Cornerstone uh, College, mm-hmm. now university, uh, Marvin having preached at New Hope and almost 99%. African-American church, and then Calvary Church, 99% right. uh, Caucasian-American church. Right. So our paths yeah. alone just was a natural ground for this idea of a multi-ethnic church. Huh. So kind the of question both. was, yeah. uh, how, <laughs> what's your how ministry was been like? Yeah. <laughs> so I said it was, so coming with these guys together, uh, good friends just made it so much fun. Huh. So, and that's what we've been doing. So my wall. As we first began, and has now much changed since, uh, Marvin came as uh, the primary preaching pastor at our church. Uh, Artie came as an administration pastor, and he was very strong, and still is very strong in administration. And I came as a uh, family life pastor, or shepherding pastor. Mm. And this was in giving with our gifts, giving with our training, mm. um, training in counseling psych, uh, working at Mel Trotter, working for Spectrum Health. So the whole idea of working with people was just natural for me to do. Yeah. So when I entered church life, there was not very much change. I always believed in the Bible and very strongly believed in the power of God in intervening in people's lives. So being in a church setting was not a much change for me. Mm. Now, in a secular setting, when I was at Spectrum Health, I had to watch uh, what language I sure. use. But deep down in my heart, I knew that despite my skills or my training, really it's God who does the healing. Mm. And most people came there also kind of knew that, even though they didn't speak of God in a way we spoke of him, mm-hmm. but they had an idea. There was that, a sense you know, of a higher. Yes. Yeah. So that's the world. So it's been family life, and it's been family life since we started. Now there are many other things that go in there. As a pastor, you don't just have one thing that you do. Right. So... I pastor the people of Tabernacle, and the pastor, anyone who give me an opportunity to pastor them. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, how would you describe uh, your church? You've said multi-ethnic ministry, but beyond that, characterize your church. What's it like? Yeah. You know, our church is one of the things that we say we are really good at, and it seems to be pretty evident, is we are ascending church. So we don't measure ourselves by the capacity of how many people we sit in there, but how many people go out. And go out recently, the emphasis really has been in community. Hmm. So we say that we are, we are the saying at Tabernacle, that we are Tabernacle. That every single one of us is a Tabernacle. Hmm. And that is saying we carry the presence of God wherever we go. So we are ascending church. And you will hear people say we don't measure ourselves, like I said earlier, by our sitting capacity, but by our sending capacity. So we are very community-oriented. Uh, try to impact the community, influence the culture, and impact the community everywhere we go. 
What are some specific ways you've done that? Uh, well, some of the things we've done, and this happened uh, several years back, in our quest to try to impact the community, we invited other churches in our neighborhood. These are the churches that surround the area where our building is located. So we invited them and we formed this thing called uh, the Church of Alger Heights. Hmm. And the idea behind that is we all need to work together rather than compete against one another. Hmm. We have one purpose, that is purpose is to assure about the shalom of God in the place where he's put us. Networking these various churches together. Yes. yes. So that's one very tangible way in church wise that we did, uh, and it was spurred by the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, right. uh, where he says, you know, they know, the world will know that you are one as you love one another. Say, so, Father, you know, show yourself through these people uh, who, are, who are my followers. So, so that prayer spurred our idea of saying, we need to invite these churches together. So we formed this entity, and then shortly after that, we began to think, okay, how do we move outside of the churches? Because we want to be known as a church that sends people that influence the culture and impact the city and the world for the glory of the world for the glory of God. How do we do that? So we have invited these churches, great, we're collaborating. But there are other people who live in this neighborhood who have no I mean, they've heard of church, and some have pretty probably say, you know, that's not for me, or they have not really felt its presence in a very tangible way. So out of this discussion, we formed this thing called the Alger Heights Collaborative. And Alger Heights Collaborative then brought together the church, the community, and the business mm. group in Alger Heights. Huh. And that uh, entity is housed in our home building. And my partner actually, we hire a person who goes into the community, and their job is to listen to what the people are saying. So basically, we spend three years now listening, and some of the results of the listening are coming out, to say these are the things that can make our neighborhood uh, better. So like you're listening for like the longings of the community, the needs of the community, or just listening for... Like what, what, do you, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah, so we're listening, we're saying... One of the things that we had in mind was to discover asset-based uh, things in mm. the community. So what are the gifts that people have? What mm. are the skills that people have? And this is not necessarily people who aren't the church people. Yes. This is, the, yeah. this is not just the church. Yeah. Now, 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 remember, I was just saying when uh, Matt asked, how do we manifest this being in a community? Right. How do we manifest this networking? So we bring the churches together. Right. And doing our prayer time, doing our talks, doing our meetings we began to think, how do we impact the community at large? Outside of it, yeah. so, so we formed the Alger Heights Collaborative. Mm. And the Alger Heights Collaborative basically worked with the neighborhood association, worked with the business, and worked with the church. Mm. So we come together. So the listening is, what are the needs of the people in this community? Mm. And how can we as a church, now the, Alger, the church of Alger Heights, our church, local church included, how can we now begin to minister to these needs mm. in a sense of bringing the presence of God it, and our end of that is we are tabernacle. Yeah. So we want the presence of God to be evident everywhere we go, everywhere our members go. It's interesting that you say that it's been three years. I think that's a very cool uh, affirmation of the the pace that these things move. Like sometimes we just have to be patient. We, we want it to happen right away. But to really hear the needs of people, it takes that commitment and saying we're going to be here and we're going to listen for as long as it takes. I think that's that's really powerful. That, that's true. I, I will agree 100% because, again, not everybody has the same orientation. Yeah. Not everybody's thinking the same way. Right. So we, we can't just go in and say, hey, this is what we want to do, and immediately everybody begins. We'll be to back in a month, yeah. <laughs> so it's take, it has, has taken that long, and uh, we have no intent of uh, moving any quicker, Yeah. but to see how the spirit is moving, and we want to join God. Do you ever do you ever get pushback from that of people who want to make it go faster? And how do you how do you communicate that that idea of like this is slow and we're going to just do it in a in a at the pace that God leads? No, we have had people that have desired uh, in a different way, where people have come in at our church. We are a multi ethnic, multicultural church. There are people who have come at our church and ask us, "How did you do it?" Hmm. 
And the question of how did you do it, I think it's aiming at what is the formula. Yeah, exactly. So we also can mm-hmm. go and do right. that. And our answer has always been, we have no formula. Hmm. This is a God-engineered thing. And when God does something, at times he couldn't reveal a formula. But to us, he had not. Hmm. He, and he has not revealed a formula. So we genuinely love people for where they are. And because I believe people see that they are loved, we have a saying at our church almost every Sunday. When I stand up or any person who stands up to greet the people, we say something like this. We say, welcome to Tabernacle Community Church, a place to belong, a place to believe, and a place to become. Mm. And sometimes we unpack what that is. That has been one of our answers to people that want to hurry, is... um, there is no formula to this. Yeah. We need to listen and watch what the Spirit of God is doing. But we are going to create an environment where people feel a sense of belonging. Mm. So when, when, going to, when we go in a neighborhood, there are some neighbors who are a bit resistant to the idea of the church. So rather than pushing them, we just desire to be, mm. to be with them, to listen to what they are saying, mm. and to have to find an area of need and be able to minister through that area of need. That then gives us much more of a platform and a voice to know that we matter, that being here as a church means something to the community. I love that. So, Kizambo, everything that you said there makes me look for not the formula, but it, it makes me... It makes me want to come to your church. For yeah, one right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want my you got church. two empty seats. <laughs> well, let's bring your whole congregation. <laughs> bring an extra 400 people. I want my church to look like that. Not 400, but. Between the two of us. No. Okay. Yeah. Our, both our congregations yeah, exactly. could go there. <laughs> what I'm thinking is, uh, what would you say to a church that's in suburbia, that's on the outskirts of the community, that's maybe a little bit more rural, that to reflect its own neighborhood and environment, it's not multi-ethnic. And so you hear a lot today in the literature about let's become intentionally a multi-ethnic church, but I'm in Jenison and there's not a lot of multi-ethnicity that's there. Man, that's a, that's a cool question. It's a very good question and we need to talk about it. And I think may, uh, some, some people may benefit from what we're saying here. And here's why. So you read the first portion of the articles that I mm-hmm. wrote for the Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of friends respond. Many did not respond, uh, respond online, but they sent me private emails. And some of the private emails were something like this. We don't know how we can show compassion because we're in a suburb. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't know how we can show compassion because you're in a suburb? Uh, so you missed the point of the article. The point of the article was not necessarily compassion to the people who are in the city of Grand Rapids. is compassion wherever God has you. Right. So there was one particular friend who lives in an area where uh, there are uh, a lot of migrant workers. And he said, you know, we don't have African-American folks living here. And then I said again, man, you missed the point. My thing was not advocating for any particular people group, although I did point out to some of the research that was pointed out for our city. But this can be done everywhere. Mm. And one of the phrases that I used in the article was, we need to immerse ourselves into each other's lives. So how do you do that in Jenison? This is what you do. You get to know your neighbors in Jenison. You can't fabricate uh, multi-ethnicity in Jenison where it does not exist. Mm -hmm. However, you can be the presence of God for the people of Jenison Mm -hmm. who look like you, but who do not have this awareness or presence of God where they go. Because that's where God has had you. Mm-hmm. So, so that will be how you do it in Genesis. So reflect the presence of God in your neighborhood, Absolutely. in your community. Yes. Whatever that looks like. Yes. You know, we've had people at, uh, at, at Tabernacle who have driven from Genesis, who have driven from Hudsonville, who have driven from even Holland, Zealand. Mm-hmm. And some of them, they've come intentionally. And here's how they come. Because they have adopted a child who is from a different ethnic background, primarily of an African-American or, or African origin. So they're thinking, okay, so we are here in Jenison, Caledonia, Hudson Valley, Zealand, and it's almost like monolithic culture. Mm-hmm. And we want our child to be exposed to a diverse culture. 
and they hear about Tabernacle. Somehow they show up to Tabernacle because it's a part of our DNA. It's at the top of the Google search list. <laughs> well, it <laughs> may be. Church, it, it may be. I'm, I'm not sure how they, they find it, Matt. But, so they come to Tabernacle, and we welcome them. But we also say, you know, there are many churches along the way that you have passed that believe in the gospel. Hmm. And if the people there would adapt, and which I'm sure probably some do, adapt this idea that uh, each one of us bear the image of God, and we are going to love each other for, for how God made us, not for what kind of attribute we exhibit, but just how right. God made us, right. your child may just have a very healthy and good environment to be in. Mm-hmm. And some will push back and say, Pastor, we want them to be in an environment where they see leaders who look like them, mm. models of people who look like them. And what we hear about what you guys are doing here, we desire that. Of course, we can argue against that. We say, you are welcome. Yeah. And so there they are. But that's a graciousness of accepting that family for where they are. Absolutely. To say, we're going to meet you with the gospel and with this environment for growth. If that's your perspective, then who knows what God will do with that. Absolutely. Is there, is there an aspect of the gospel when it comes to accepting people or embracing people, kind of how you've just talked about, that calls for a specific focus on multi-ethnic engagement rather than just saying, hey, you are, you know, a person, a child of God, created in the image of God, whatever. But maybe because of the, the American culture, especially where we are, you know, 2016 and 15 have been pretty intense for race relations. Is there at the heart of the gospel, something that says we need to be specific about how we are engaging with race relations rather than just saying, hey, everybody is, you know, reflecting your community. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so the question, the answer to reflecting your community was uh, more related to the fact that, so Matt says we are Jenison. How do we do that? And my answer to Matt is you cannot make Jenison what it's not. Right. So in Jenison, you are the prince of God in Jenison. Now, if you are in a situation like where we are, and we have begun this conversation uh, last year, uh, we began uh, a ministry called Grace and Race. And the reason Grace and Race came about is we want to create an environment because many people have come and asked, how do you do this? Mm. And our answer has been, this is God engineered. It is a gift from God to us. We did mm. not seek it out by any means. Now, one may say, in my case, probably I did, Kerry and I, because of our different culture. Mm-hmm. So we intentionally said we are going to make this home. But for m- my partners, uh, they didn't seek this out. Mm. My partner who preached at Calvary, he didn't seek out that I need to go preach at Calvary. God called him into that. Mm. And I would say probably my marriage, it will be the same too. God called me into it. So it's a gift that God gave us. However, we now want to be good steward of the gift. And being good steward of the gift may touch on your, answer, on your question of how do you do it to not just leave it at, okay, uh, love each other as a mm-hmm. child of God, but we need to be intentional mm-hmm. on how we do that. And I think the way to be intentional about on how we do that is to immerse ourselves into each other's lives. So mm-hmm. to know who the other person is, mm-hmm. to know what their cultural background is, uh, to know what uh, their life experience mm. has been, and to appreciate that life experience because all of us have had different life experiences, uh, depending on where we were raised, depending mm-hmm. on um, what neighborhood we lived in, depending on what encounters we've had, and all of that make up a portion of who we are. Mm-hmm. So grace and race uh, idea, or at least the ministry that we are cultivating, is to create a platform for the people of our community first to begin a very healthy dialogue of how diverse we are, how different we are, but also how uh, how one we are in Christ hmm. or how unique God has made each one of us to make this local body here. And hopefully from there, we can begin to answer the questions of friends who come and ask, how do you do this? Sure. Yeah. You kind of cultivate an appreciation for multi-ethnic involvement. Like you, you teach people that this is a virtue to be someone who can emphasize with someone from a different cultural background. Absolutely. And that and it becomes sounds like, part of that. And it sounds like you have to live it 
So I can't show you the right. formula, but come and participate with us yes. and immerse yourself in it. Yes. And then you'll see what God is doing. Yes. You know, you, uh, uh, Jim, you've mentioned this idea of how 2015 and 2016 has been pretty intense mm -hmm. racially in our country. Um, that's been at the forefront of our heart. Mm. Because when we come together on Sunday, mm -hmm. which is mostly when churches uh, right. gather, so when we come together on Sunday, uh, we sit next to people that don't look physiologically or who are not ethnically the same as we are. Mm. And yet all week long, there have been all these noise mm -hmm. and chaos, deaths and shootings. Mm -hmm. So here we are now we're supposed to be able to worship together where the media and the society is trying to separate us. Mm. So that has put a heavy burden on us, at least on me as a pastor, mm. saying, Lord, how do we live out John 17 mm. in this community? How can we be one so that the world will know that we are your disciples? So that has brought out the idea of we got to know one another. Mm. We, got to, we have to appreciate one another's experience. When I say I've been pulled over uh, frivolously, mm. rather than my Caucasian friend to say, man, too much exaggeration <laughs> about being pulled over, giving me an opportunity to be able to say, really, this was my experience. Yeah. And although you may not fully understand it, but empathize with it. Yeah. So, so empathy try to include that as a part of who we are and um, and then advance a dialogue mm. from there. Do you guys, will, will you speak about like, you know, the riots or shootings or these things? Will you speak about this from the pulpit? Will you engage with these topics or is it more just kind of general teaching the scriptures and hoping, hoping and assuming that people will filter what the, the noise <laughs> through what you're talking about? No, we, we speak directly about it. Do you? Uh, I'm a part of a cohort of pastors, and we meet uh, once every quarter to pray. Mm. And um, most of these pastors, besides my partner and I, are Caucasians. And it's about seven of us who get together and pray. And interestingly enough, our friends uh, don't talk about these topics from the pulpit. Hmm. And we, they've said this. They say they ask, "How do you do this?" Because you know there was this line where uh, you don't get too much immersed into either the politics or the social issues, and that becomes the gospel right. rather than really the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. But we also believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to all of life. Right. So when there were the shooting, the very severe one. I mean, all of them are severe, but right. the one in in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. And then. The following weekend yeah. in Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, my partner, we were doing a series uh, of teaching uh, at that particular time, a preaching series that was coherent. Everything was going the same right. direction. Yep. But we had to interrupt that. Mm. And the reason we interrupted that is because what was going on in the culture, what was going on in the communities, what was going on where people lived, was too severe to ignore. Mm. We couldn't come in the worship and basically continue on with our regularly scheduled series and pretend as if these things don't happen. Yeah. So my, my partner uh, preached on Cain and Abel, hmm. the two brothers, uh, the one who killed the other brother, and spoke about how the blood of Abel is crying from the ground hmm. and how we as the people of God need to respond when the, the blood of our brothers are crying from the ground. Mm. So we speak about these things to answer your question directly. Um, when the situation gives us an opportunity to bring about what the Bible says to, to it, we speak about it. And so you are dealing with the, the race issues, but you're hitting it from a more foundational value of life issue, which is at the heart of, of I think, the gospel, you know, is that people are... <laughs> valuable and i think that you're able to transcend some of that while still effectively communicating to what our culture is the language of our culture absolutely uh, you know in in addition to that uh, who says our mission statement as a church uh we say we want to influence the culture and impact the city and the world for the glory of god mm. uh, and we believe the gospel would influence mm. the culture we believe we, as followers of Jesus, will impact 
the city, mm-hmm. would impact the world. And ultimately, what we seek after that is his glory mm. to be present. Mm. So, so that's, that's where we are, yeah. and that's what we are doing. Uh, and there is a bastion for this, though. And the bastion is, uh, at least for me, it's been being in the presence of God, prayer, just being with God, mm. and listening to what he's saying. And at times, we can get caught up into the busyness, moving and moving and moving, and miss because there's so much noise. Mm. So try to find time to be with him, mm. just to be in his presence. Hear what he's saying in regard to all the things that are happening around. Kizem, I wanted to ask you a personal question based on what you just said, and, and I'm just, it's just a curiosity. Yes. Okay? So what is it like being an American who is African relating to people who grow up as African-American in this country? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I've had now the experience for 27 years of trying to understand, I would say probably 22. Mm-hmm. Because the first five years in America, I had no understanding, <laughs> curious, seriously, mm. of what the dynamic were. Mm. Nobody prepared me for it. And I don't know if anybody could have prepared me for it. And I'm going to say I did not get what was going on in America as far as being African-American, Caucasian-American, and me being African in America. And so this was also in the early 90s, right? And yes. so this was when the watch riots, right, and stuff were happening in Los Angeles. And so it was mm. another hot time. Yes, it was. For this. I remember the Rodney King. Yeah, absolutely. The Rodney King riots uh, after his uh, scuffle and beating with the, by the police and L.A. being almost burned down to the yeah, ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not understand it, Matt. And now... See, when I started to understand, it seems like I do understand it today. It's still a learning process, but I've had sure. now 22 years. But you've lived in community with African Americans yes. who, who this were their whole life growing up, watching mom getting pulled over by the police, watching That's dad right. getting pulled over by That's the police. Right. And now, I, I began to understand it uh, when I worked at New Hope hmm. uh, in a couple ways. One way was the folks at that place, they embraced me. And they love me. Like, these people didn't know me. <laughs> but, man, I came in that place. It was in winter, I remember, <laughs> when I was the first day that I walked in there. And they just, I mean, they embraced me. I became like one of their children. <laughs> and I didn't really get that what, what that was, the, the sense of love and embrace and care that I received. But later I began to realize there was a level of identification. <laughs> My accent was different. Uh, my understanding of the world was different. But nonetheless, they considered me as one of their, their own, one of their children. And then I began to work downtown. My work downtown opened my eyes to see some of the not-so-cool stuff hmm. that were happening hmm. uh, with, uh, you know, interaction with the police. I remember, I remember uh, one time being pulled over and... Uh, and I got mad because I got pulled over, because I know that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm. I got pulled over, but they must have been looking for something in the area where I happened to be. Um, so the officer gave me a ticket. And I was so mad, I took the ticket, I threw it out the window, mm. and I took off. And then the officer followed me. <laughs> okay, the lights were on. Wow. I stopped. They pulled me out, handcuffed me, literally took me to jail. So I never knew about this. Uh, well, I'm telling you here on the air, so everybody is uh, <laughs> getting no, into the story. No more than 80 people will hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so took me to jail. Uh, I was still a grace as a student. Oh, wow. Took me to jail, and out of jail, I called here at the college, and the President Kemper, uh, senior, yeah. was the president of the college then. Um, so he learned about this, and uh, some of my, I think my roommate went and picked me up, and they brought me here. I don't know if there was bell posted. I think there must have been a bell or something posted. And then I had to go downtown. Uh, went downtown, explained the situation, and uh, in the end, the judge ended up throw, throwing out the, the tickets, ended up throwing out the, the fines and everything. So basically, I got off. But that was a wake, awakening mm. moment for me. What in the world yeah. just had happened? And then I, be, I got some lessons here to say, you know what, you need to be careful in whatever part, sometimes some part of town that you are in. 
I never really understood why I was pulled over. Uh, I never really understood even why everything was thrown off. But I just know that it was my junior year, I believe. You just know that that was taken off. Mm. Now, speaking to this idea of African living in America now as an African-American or Congolese-American, uh, it's been a learning process. Hearing stories, this particular story I just shared with you here, gave me an appreciation of when I hear a story of mm. pastor, I was harassed for no reason. I was pulled for no reason. I can go back mm. and make a reference. I remember a time when this did happen. Yeah. For no reason. You can relate to that Absolutely. experience. I can relate to that. And I can also relate to the fact that it was thrown off. I mean, it was thrown out of court. And nothing really happened to me as a result of it, except the experience, the scar that I was pulled over in my own mind for no reason. And another part that I may want to put in is I don't know if the, the intervention of the president of my college. Yeah has something to do with that because he's a respected mm -hmm. member of the community and is vouching for this foreign students, mm -hmm. African and American guy on his campus who whom he values mm -hmm. and he sees very good qualities in. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that played a part mm -hmm. in why the judge felt they should not be taken any further and threw it out. But it emphasized the point probably of uh, me coming in and uh, people who've been here all along and having experienced this time and time and time again, or seeing this being experienced in their families over and over and over again, how different perspective we will have on that. Mm -hmm. But my experience gave me a point of appreciation of these things do happen. And sometimes they do happen justly because somebody actually broke the law, right. and other times they happened because somebody has been harassed. Mm -hmm. And in my case, I believe it was an harassment. Should I have thrown the ticket out the window? Probably that was not the wisest thing to mm -hmm. do, but that's what I did then. Right. Today I will not do that. Right. Well, that's part of the story now. Yes, it is. Today I will go, I'll take the ticket and take it down yeah. to the city hall mm. or to the court myself. And confront the system in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is what we, again, as a pastor, I will encourage operationers to do. Uh, although not a perfect system, but nonetheless, it's a system we have, and it has avenues to appeal, mm -hmm. to appeal your grievances mm -hmm. or what you think is unjustly done to you. So what, what would you say or what do you say to white pastors, maybe like Matt and I who are in the suburban area, and some, maybe somebody listening out there, they just don't know, like, what to make of all of this. They don't know, you know, they can't relate to the black experience. They don't know what it's like, but they still want to be faithful to the gospel. Like, if you could give them some advice or some pointers or some direction, how would you, what would you say? Um, you know, something I've been reading lately uh, kind of put me to a point where I can probably answer these questions with some level of accuracy. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gave the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. uh, and we look at the Good Samaritan, but we can also look at uh, uh, the guy who got beaten, the guy who got robbed. Mm -hmm. um, we can help the guy who got beaten, we can help the guy who got robbed. But if every single time we walk down the Jericho Road. We find somebody who's been beaten, somebody who's been robbed. I think we may need to move to a point of understanding what is going on on the Jericho Road. Mm -hmm. And if we can get to a point of understanding what's going on in the Jericho Road, then we can begin to address the problems of the beaten folks mm -hmm. that we've been helping on the Jericho Road. This story comes out of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's response to, I think he was, he gave a speech uh, in relationship to the Vietnam War, and I think the title of his speech was Beyond Vietnam, mm. where he's saying we need to look at the source of the problem rather than just fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. Because if we look at the source of the problem, we'll be able to have a greater impact. So to you, my friends, as suburban pastors, 
uh, and you want to engage in this particular area because the gospel calls us to engage in it. Two things I think of. This may sound abstract, but let's see if in our dialogue we can make them practical. I've been thinking of Philippians chapter 2. You guys uh, mm-hmm. have an idea what I may think about when I think about Philippians chapter praise. 2? Think yes. of others as more important yeah. than yourself. Yeah, think of the mind of Christ. Be, think of others as more important than yourself, but more so, also, more so in a sense that Jesus, being God, mm-hmm. did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but Lord himself left heaven, inhabited our, our human bodies, came and lived amongst us. So I've been thinking of the idea of my suburban friends, pastors, need to figure out a way to immerse themselves in the lives of their colleagues, pastors who are in a city. Hmm. Because only by doing that, by being Jesus who left heaven... Okay. Not that the suburbs are heaven. I, I know, very good. And that, that, I, lo- I like that. A lot I love of people in Jenison who will relate to They this. really loved that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like living, rather than just being there, but being with, immersing yeah. oneself in a context of other people. Yeah. And this, by the way, could be other people in Jenison who are now the, whatever church you are at. Where I'm at Celebration. Celebration. Church, yeah. yeah, I just drove by there. Yeah. 80th, 84th? 8th Avenue. So being there... Although there are not very many neighborhood mm-hmm. in a place, I saw like the church is by itself. Right. Cornfield. Uh, yeah. Yes, I saw that. And I'm thinking, I said, wow, Absolutely. this is where this church is. But, but you live somewhere where there is a neighborhood. Yeah. So immerse yourself mm. in the lives of other people there. But in the context of suburb is get to know another pastor who's ministering or pastoring in a suburban context. Mm. And then another passage of scripture that comes to mind is what we term as the Lord's Prayer. But we'll be probably more the disciples' prayer. Where Jesus says, pray like this. Mm. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we recite that, we go really fast. And I got to tell you, friends, I've gone very fast there too. But for some reason lately, I've been pausing. What does it mean Mm. that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If really Jesus meant that, who is about to bring the will of God on earth? I think it's us. Mm-hmm. So, we are then probably charged of bringing the presence of the will of God on earth. And where is that? Is where you live. Mm. It is this earth. It's this Wyoming earth. It's that Jenison earth. Mm-hmm. It is this Grand Rapids earth. It's where we live. And we can't divorce it from that because this is where God has us. And he's saying, make my will present mm-hmm. here where you live. So immersing oneself, uh, thinking of uh, Philippians chapter 2, so, uh, thinking of uh, Matthew chapter 6, mm-hmm. all of those scriptures kind of meshing themselves in my mind and I'm calling my friends I say we've got to be into each other's lives so value in seeking out the other so that I can learn mm-hmm. and don't think of yourself as having this high status right but rather of a low status I have something to learn yeah from my brothers in pastoral ministry who are in other suburban contexts but also in urban contexts absolutely and connect life on life with them mm-hmm yeah. Correct. You, I mean, that is what I'm trying to convey by all these words. Yeah. Well, you've given us a, you've given us a little taste of what that's like right yeah. here. Yes, uh, I'm glad I'm glad we had the opportunity to do it too. Yeah, this is good. So we end we usually end our conversations with three questions. We ask, "What's a book that you've been reading that you might want to recommend?" And then we ask, "What's your your most joyful thing about ministry?" And what is the thing that's kind of the grind of ministry that you wouldn't want to do, but it's part of it. And so those three questions. So first, do you have any books that you might recommend to yeah. us or readings or anything? Well, yes. I, I think lately I've been reading what other pastors have done, pastors that have gone before us. So three in particular come to mind. One is Calvin Miller, hmm. and he wrote a very short treaty called Letters to a Young Pastor. Hmm. 
And I just think every pastor may want to read through that. And uh, he is, uh, uh, this book contains his reflection of his ministry. And uh, he is very honest. And I, as I read it, I see me mm. in some of the things he say. The me that sometimes I have to weigh, uh, you know, I just talk about the arrest thing here. Uh, pastors probably don't get too much pride into saying I was arrested. Mm. Mm. But Calvin, he talks and they say, this is life. This is how we live. And we need to be genuine. So that would be one probably I would recommend. Calvin Miller? Yeah, Calvin, Calvin Miller. Miller. Okay. Yes. Um, then I, I was reading Alistair Begg. Mm. And he wrote a book called On Being the Pastor. And On Being the Pastor, basically, again, he relates, he and Derek, uh, Derek is not as well-known here in America. I think Derek is from Scotland, now very well-known in America as uh, Alistair Begg is. Then mm -hmm. uh, they co-wrote this, this book, and it's basically giving pastors almost advice on day-to-day -day ministry. They talk about how they live their lives mm. and how that could be beneficial for another pastor to be able to read. And lately, I've just finished reading um, a memoir by Peter, uh, Eugene Peterson, oh, the pastor. My favorite book. And I would <laughs> say <laughs> almost every pastor needs to read Absolutely. the pastor. Yeah. And the reason they have to read it, not because Eugene Peterson is so great, which he is, but because <laughs> what he speak of in there is really the formation of a pastor. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I begin to pattern my own ministry in some of the things he says in there. Mm. One of them is this idea of prayer that I alluded to a little bit earlier, is uh, to, be, to being an unbusy pastor, mm. which is really hard in a busy world. Right. Because things call us, call us everywhere. And yet he's calling us in there, he says, spend time with God. So, so this seems to be like a biographies, yeah. and that's, that's where I've been really, and I think may be beneficial for pastors to read the stories of other pastors who've gone before, before us. Mm. And then there are some secular stuff too sure. that I've read that have contributed to this. I was in South Africa in the spring, and I got an opportunity to go to Robben Island, mm. and Robben Island is... Uh, where Mandela was, huh? Yes, yeah. it's a gruesome place. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, so I was there, and coming out of there, I was inspired to buy A Long Walk to Freedom, mm. which is Nelson Mandela's biography. And it's so informative for an African. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be informative for people all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, for my journey, for my journey in America, Looking and reading what uh, Mandela talks about his own upbringing, uh, his struggle in South Africa, his freedom, and his level of grace. And I, he has not used the word grace in the portion that I've read of the text, but I can see it. Mm. Uh, being gracious in the midst of horrendous situation. Man, there's something to be learned from there. Yeah. So. Wow. Great recommendations. Great. Yeah, absolutely. What about the... Oh, the grind. Oh, the, the grind. joy. joy the grind. The yeah. joy. <laughs> yes. The joy. The joy is to pray for people of God. I love praying for God's people. And I find so much joy in that. And in my role at Tabernacle as a family pastor or shepherding pastor, uh, it gives me an opportunity to be able to pray for God's people. And been in a situation probably that you've been in as well, where like the very sacred moments of people's lives, uh, deaths, mm -hmm. being present with them, mm -hmm. praying for them, holding my friends' hands as we pray for a passing spouse or a passing father. Uh, just uh, it humbles me and also brings joy to my heart mm. that God has given me the privilege to be there with them. Um, the grind. <laughs> uh, I don't have tolerance for meetings. <laughs> meeting, especially when they become contentious. <laughs> it's just like, Lord, please remove me from me here. 
beautiful here. So that is probably not so much fun of my right. part. I would have to get together pastors and pray. I'd love to get together people and pray. But when meetings start getting just long and uh, contentious sometimes, uh, yes, <laughs> I may even check out being present there but not being there. Yeah. It's like I'm here. When are we going to be done? Type of thing. Sure. So I guess and I need to develop a capacity probably to sure. take on meetings. So that would be the probably not so cool part. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll, many pastors out we'll there can relate that, to exactly yeah. that. Well, thanks. This has been great. I've really enjoyed this hour. Yeah. and Really a blessing. Thanks, yeah. Kazumbo. Yeah. And if people wanted, you, you referenced your articles. Um, if people wanted to read those, how could they find them? Yeah, uh, they can go to, um, oh my goodness. The talking points. Is, talking points at grts.edu. Edu? Okay. Yes. So search the Grand Rapids Theological Seminary website. Look for talking points. And, and we then, can actually link. Yeah, we'll link this on yeah, our, you on can our link Twitter. Uh, yep. for Just for the people GRTS, uh, you may like this very much. Uh, in October, on October 5, I'm doing this article extended. Ah. Uh, they have this thing that they call the uh, Cultural Intelligence Learning Center, or intro, Cultural Intelligence Learning Center, yep. uh, where each semester they will invite someone yeah. to give a talk and then answer people's questions. So on October 5... Great. Is that open to the public? Yes, everybody is cool. welcome. At least they told me that. Yeah. So I have been praying, reading, talking to God on what to present. But to be the continuation of this article. Good. And hopefully give some practical things okay. that we can actually do in this idea of compassion. Um, at least I'm taking a really bold stand to redefine compassion. Mm. And I'm not, I don't think I'm bringing my own definition to this. I want to see what does the Bible say about this? The way we've been practicing it, is that what the, really, what the Bible calls mm -hmm. it to be? Uh, the idea of uh, the Sadakim, uh, the righteous. Mm -hmm. When the righteous prosper, what happens? In the book of Proverbs, it says that the city rejoice, rejoices when the, when the righteous prosper. When we exhibit compassion, how God calls us to exhibit it, what happened? I qualified by saying communities flourish. Mm. So compassion is our path to flourishing communities. So on October 5, cool. I'll be talking about that. So if you're in the Grand Rapids area, October 5th, you can see Kazumbo live and in person. <laughs> Grand Rapids Theological. That's going to be great. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks again. Love it. We appreciate it. I love it. Thanks, friends. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation. Amen.